All right, welcome back, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the Hit Factor podcast. Uh, tonight we have um, a special guest. Uh, it's probably his second or third time he's been on, uh, Mr. Matt Hopkins. Hi, second time. Second time, okay. Uh, we also have um, Jared Fox and Whoa. myself. So tonight we're going to do things a little differently. We got a listener question or two. Uh, I don't know if Jared really had one or not, but um, we're going to just kind of jump into those, and then we're going to let Matt talk about some things he's been doing. Um, so the first, the question I have is: um, Do you guys train your eye speed on transitions? If so, how do you train this in live fire and in dry fire? What drills, etc.? Let's go with Matt first. Interesting. So. I wouldn't say I train my eyesight specifically, but it's kind of like a co-product of what you're doing, right? So you're snapping your eyes to the target, right, that you want to go to and then moving your hands to it and moving the gun over to it, right? And the traditional, like, transition drill. So you're not – I wouldn't say I'm training my eyes specifically. It's just a co-product of training, which is – done in dry and live fire so i think it's just done on both okay anybody else so kind of you know piggybacking on what matt said i don't do anything that is specifically like purely eye training um other than uh let's say if i'm struggling on transitions when i'm dry firing or something i will certainly instead of just doing a transition drill like i will look at a target and move the gun to that target because your your eyes lead to transition but nothing i do is like specifically on eye speed um it's standard transition drills otherwise okay um this is it's funny that i got this question last week i actually have been thinking about okay how can i get my uh the speed faster and more precise. Um, so I've, I don't have an answer as far as what I can tell this person to do, but it's something in my mind is kind of like, well, if, if you can speed that up from looking from one target to the spot on the next target, that's faster. That makes the transition faster. Um, or that's part of increasing your transition speed is snapping eyes from one spot to the next spot. Um, so there is something in my mind to this that I want to experiment with, um, but so do you think it's do you think it's do you think that's actually slowing you down though? I guess like is that what the slow portion of the transition is, or is it before that like recognizing that you called a good shot, and then making sure that your eyes do snap. Because I don't think it actually is the speed. Like, your eyes are super fast. Eyes are the fastest part of your body, as far right. as I can tell. Uh, so no, I'm not, I, I don't think, I think the speed right. from target to target. I think it's processing that the shot was good and then moving it over in front of the gun. So, in, in my experience, like, if I've had issues with my eyes on transition... On transitions, it's almost always one of two things. Either like I'm not precisely moving them to the target. So in essence, like uh, instead of looking at the A zone, I move to the target. And I'm looking at the the C and the Charlie zone. Or 
alternatively, on sometimes on wide transitions, I've caught myself like getting lost back in the sights early. So basically, as the gun's coming over on like a wide transition, I'll start looking at the sights, and that throws everything off. But yeah, I don't think your eyes are are the slow part. I mean, it's probably over confirming or over swinging targets more often than not, or just so, wasting time somewhere else. Yeah, exactly. I think the the hardest thing is snapping to the target and making sure you're not following the dot or following the sights over. Mm-hmm. And that's probably one of the biggest things that I've noticed in this carry optics and like foray for me this year. Like I went full into it. Like I haven't touched an iron sight gun since February. Like haven't even thought about it. Like I even shot optics on my all my other stuff too, so not just for CO. But also like learning it. I'm actually like feeling I'm having kind of a breakthrough right now in live fire and dry fire. Like my training is it feels like it's clicking over where I'm fully target focused. I'm I'm seeing kind of what that is to be now. And I think it beforehand, like training up to this point, it's been like kind of switching back and forth. But I was doing a drill today in live fire and it was it was pretty complicated, like long drill. I got it from the practice shooting training group, uh, designated target drill by Quanzik. And it was interesting, like the drill was like 24 rounds per drill. Like, so, and that's, uh, I can talk about that later. If someone writes that down that I want to talk about different drill, like round count. Yeah. Something that I'm good. experimenting with also. So we get on the next. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go, yeah. So if someone brings that up, so like just seeing like where the eyes are, and then like the gun will transition there, and like Jared said, like a spot on the target. Like I noticed sometimes I was just looking at the target as a whole and hitting the target, but if I would snap my eyes to the center of the A zone, like it would look like the shot is way off, but it was still in the A zone because the A zone so big. So just noticing that, and the reason I said long drill is, like most people like rip the gun out and shoot like six shots on the drill, right? Maybe an average. But this being like a 24-round drill, like you get kind of tired and lazy, and you don't basically know what the patience is on the gun that long. Mm -hmm. And like average stages are what, 20 to 30 rounds, right? 20 seconds maybe average. Like, how often are you doing drills like that in practice to simulate that stuff? That's not, that's not a bad point. I mean, yeah. Well, but let me go back. So, because, so, something I've working on, thinking about, observing in my practice, and today I dry fired for the first time in, like, over two weeks. Um, but something that's been on my mind before this question was even asked is I am trying to And I think maybe this person and myself both were trying to, we were being confused of uh, letting ourselves be confused and thinking in terms of speed when Matt probably said it best and, you know, Jared agreed. Your eyes are probably moving super fast and yeah, you can, you could probably increase the speed of how fast your eyes moved, but it would be so minuscule that it might not be worth it because uh, a couple things on that is it's like your draw. Um, You know, Ben said it before, like when you, 
when you want to really rail on a stage, it's like if you draw on that first draw blazing fast, that's kind of going to get you going at that pace that you're wanting to go at. Now, the problem is that sometimes you have to throttle that back and then go faster and, and pull back again. Uh, same thing with your speed. I'm wondering if you start snapping your eyes aggressively, at least in your mind, you might not do everything else more aggressively and then lose any benefit you did gain if there was any. Um, so, but what I will say though is there's times when I'm doing my transition training in my drills that I feel like my eye speed is super slow. Like I feel like, holy crap, you're taking forever to look from that spot to the next spot on the target when in all reality, I'm probably not. And so then I've thought to myself, what this person was asking is, how do I increase this speed? And it's probably not a thing about increasing um, so much as it's probably just about maximizing the efficiency of it. Uh, like everything else, uh, we think we have to go faster and push harder for everything we do in this sport to be, uh, to, to be the best at it or to, to have the best outcome. When sometimes it's actually, if you just let the tension roll back and just focused on precision, uh, you're going to realize that your speed, people looking at you are going to go, holy crap, that was so fast, right? And you're going to think it was slow. Um, so that's, that's, what I'm, that's what I think this person might have been thinking um, or coming, coming at this from um, that question where it kind of may have originated from. I feel like I felt the same way. Um, but now to what Matt just said, that was a good point and something I've never thought of that, you know, we don't really – do a lot of training that like is going to require a lot of um, just effort for over a period of time. We just kind of draw and do three targets to each, you know, and then that was our practice. So I kind of like that idea. And I, I didn't come up with it or nothing. I just kind of got like, I'm on there and I saw the draw. I'm like, Oh, that looks good. And so I shot the exact same ammo on Monday and today's Tuesday, like within four rounds of each other, like in the same amount of time. But on Monday, I shot six round drills. Today, I shot 22 round drills. So there's a lot more that you have to think about, like visualize on it, like the practice and the what drill you're doing at the time on the 22 round stage, right? Or drill than the six round drill. So you can just hammer out those six-round drills, like a lot of them. But you have to visualize and basically kind of like make ready for a stage on the longer drills. And it was really valuable. Like I I was actually kind of hesitant. I thought I'd go through like 700 rounds of ammo, and I didn't. Like the drill takes longer. You have to reset it. You want to reset your mind and basically do all the visualizations. And I thought it was really, really good. Was that was that drill that you're talking about? I, I've heard of it, and I even remember when they put it up. I, I'm drawing a blank on visualizing what it is, but is it a stand and shoot and shoot 22 rounds, or is it um, a yeah, couple it's a of stand uh, positions? And okay, it's stand and shoot. So you okay. pick a target, and that's the target you. That's the designated target on it, and you'll do a transition over to another target, then come back to the designated target, then go to a different target than the first one and go back to the designated target. You could do that with any number of rounds that you have. You could do reloads in the center of it. Cool. So basically it's a transition drill. Okay. And, and that's the biggest thing I saw tonight was like seeing where my eyes would snap to the target and making sure I picked the right spot 
on the target instead of just the whole target. And like going in the middle of that drill, like the first few runs, I would not even notice that I was just looking at the target till I like could visually like process it and think about it after the run, like why I'm resetting the, the, all the targets out there. And you can put steel up and stuff. So you like tar- designated target to steel, then back. Like it's really good about transitions and it's, you're snapping your eyes and you're learning what kind of like visual, visual like focus you need or on the target, what you can get away with. Okay. Cool. Jared, do you have anything else? Uh, did we lose Jared? I don't know. I don't have. No, no, I'm still here. Sorry, I had it okay. uh, muted first. Uh, did you have anything else? Because I, I have another question I want to ask you guys. Uh, go, go ahead. I do have a question of after your question. Okay. Hey, do you guys, when you are dry firing, let's say it could be anything. Um, it could be the standard procedure. Uh, you know, you could be setting up something completely random with multiple targets. But do you guys actually visually walk through uh, your practice run? So do you set up a couple targets, and then, like you were just saying a minute ago, Matt, kind of do your make-ready process um, before you do it? Or do you just set up targets and kind of just do it? I set up targets, and I do visualize depending on the drill. So if I've set up like a classifier before. So the one we shot in Arkansas, right? Pretty tough. A pretty decent sequence you have to do on it. Pretty tough shots. So I'd actually visualize that, just prepping for it, and do that. And other, like also, like at the end of my dry fire session, I got targets everywhere or all around the house, and I'll do like a mock stage on it. Like I don't got a ton of room, so I can't do like really long movements or anything. But I could do like two positions pretty easily in different shots and different lanes around different walls and stuff. So like I'll set targets out. And they'll be out there, and I'll visualize it because I got so much out there and so many weird orders that everything could mm-hmm. be ran in. Right. Like if I don't do that, I'll get lost in the middle of it, and I'll have hesitation and just kind of like stop. stop and have to think about like, oh, what was I supposed to like look at next or shoot next? You know. So, but for like a for like a stand and shoot of three to four targets, you you don't do a maybe a order visualization and a spot visual, visualization. No, not okay. really. So, uh, it's about the same for me. I don't. I wouldn't say I visualize like short drills. Um, I will certainly sometimes in dry fire if I'm doing something a little more complicated. But in live fire, I don't normally visualize. But I will almost always essentially air gun or even dry fire what I'm doing before I actually do it. Uh, even if it's just like a six round drill, and. And dry fire, if it's if I'm doing something kind of complicated, like a mini stage or something where I'm shooting two or three positions, I will generally like walk through it like I would a stage walkthrough and visualize it a couple of times before I actually do it. Okay. So I've been doing the same thing with the the, the setups that require positions that I'm, I'm doing a mock stage for dry fire. I, I treat it like it's a stage. I'll walk through it. Um, you know, I do it. The same thing, I, I'm running over to this position, I'm looking at this spot on the target. Uh, uh, once I call a good shot, I look at this spot. So I do that all. But I've even started doing it. If I'm just standing in a position in my bedroom and I've got the L-Press set up, I mean, which is the most basic setup there is, I will actually visualize 
the dot coming up to the first target, the first, and I'm picking out the center of the A zone, and then I, you know, a process that I'm going to call a good shot, and then I visualize myself looking to the center of the A zone on the next spot, uh, and I do that, and I actually think that's helped me because what I've found, and this may just be me, that is when I when I don't do that, even on the simplest of draws or uh, drills, um, I find myself not having a good index, not having a good index to the next target, and so on. And and then I realized, oh, yeah, dude, I mean, you totally just let the dot settle in the C zone and then you moved it anyways. Um, and then I find that if I really just sit there and process it and I'll just call it a walkthrough, um, I run the drill successfully. And, and so even when I set up a random, simple, small drill, I, I walk through them. I do a walkthrough and I actually get mad at myself sometimes because I I rush that process um, and then run the drill and go, well, that wasn't very good. And if this was a stage, you wouldn't have done very good on it. So, so just thinking about it, like I do, I do dry fire a little different, I guess. I do it three minutes at a time. So I pick something I'm going to do for three minutes and then I take a three minute break and then do something else for three minutes. So during that break, I'm writing down what I just did or what I'm going to do. So I guess I'm kind of visualizing it without even thinking about it. So if I'm just going to do like briquette reloads, right? Mm-hmm. I guess, yeah, I guess we'll still call them that even after all this stuff, right? <laughs> uh, so if I'm going to do briquette reloads, I'll write that down. Like that's the next drill I'm going to do. And then I kind of just chill out for what minute or two till the timer's up and then get going. So I don't know if it's strictly visualization, but there's definitely key things I like key in on certain draws, like drills, like switch into the P10. Like I had to retool my reload and where I looked at when I reload. So I actually had to look way deeper in the magwell and change the angle of it when I do the reload. So that took quite a bit to do. And I did lots of visualization on that. Like I'd spend all night just doing reloads or briquette reloads just to make sure I saw where the mag was entering the gun at in the right spot and the gun was in the right position. Okay. But I find the best part of visualization is say you're say you got five minutes at your desk at work, right? Mm-hmm. So why wouldn't you do visualizations of your reload or visualizations of your draw right there, right? Mm-hmm. So I do that quite a bit. So if I got any little bit of time or if I know I'm going to practice kind of reloads mm-hmm. or even before doing like a live fire drill with reloads, like on the designated target drill, like some of it was like you shoot the left side and then you do a reload to the right side and shoot the designated target on the right side, all the targets on the right side. So you have to actually like program that, shooting the designated target, doing a reload, shooting the designated target again. So it's just a very interesting drill. It is static and it shoots a lot of rounds. And I actually paced myself because I didn't want to shoot a bunch tonight. And it was good about that. So I think visualization is key, and that's one of the most important things about the sport. Yes, I agree. Cool. Jared, what was your question? So, Matt, one question. Actually, this is good for both of you. Uh, Obviously, Matt's been around the sport a little longer, so it's a little different than Jason. But uh, thinking back to early on and knowing what you know today about shooting, what is – it, what is one thing, if you could go back in time and tell yourself, uh, say, when you're a month or two into this game, 
what is what is a piece of advice you would give yourself or or a tip or something you would make yourself do sooner so i think the biggest thing i mean it's like compound interest right so if you did 15 minutes a day of something every day right that would add up to thousands of hours of over the what 10 years 13 years i've been doing this so if i would go back and tell myself i would say do something every day like even if you just pick up the gun and just pull the trigger trying to learn where your gun fires right Mm-hmm. So you're just learning where the, the gun fires and like burning that into your memory. So you, as soon as you kind of hit the wall or you can make the gun go off and hit where you want to hit, I think, and making myself do more dry fire, obviously, like that's the biggest thing this year that I've taken away from it. So I, I went from iron sights to an optic. I went from low cap to high cap. I went from double action, single action to striker fired polymer gun. And the only reason I am, I wouldn't say I'm successful, but I'm able to compete where I am still. Like, I'm nowhere, I like, I still, I still feel way behind kind of where I'm normally at. But I feel like this has all been learning and I'm going to be a better shooter after this and for a while. But that's due to me doing something every day. It could be live fire, it could be dry fire. Like I'm, I ha- I'm handling a gun every day. I'm shooting matches. I'm, I'm doing something every day. All right, Jason. What about yourself? Um, for me, mine's probably kind of a. Uh, I, I'm gonna say it's two things. Um, I'm kind of people that know me know that I switched guns and divisions a lot. Um, I probably would have told myself, um, it wasn't that I always thought one gun was going to make me shoot better. It was always that the, (laughs) mine was kind of backwards. It was like, I'm a better shooter now. Let me see if I can milk more performance out of this gun. And I don't know that that's possible either. Um, I don't know, maybe it is, but anyways, so I would have probably just stuck with something a lot sooner and, um, I think I'd be I'd be ahead, but really for me it was one of the deals where I think you just have to learn it um, and experience it. I always tried to cram too much in, too much stuff into to a small amount of time. Um, so what that means is, is I, I've tried to go past my skill ability, and I didn't have the grasp on. Sometimes it just takes as long as it takes whatever it may be. Uh, and you're going to have to deal with multiple things on a sa- on one stage sometimes where you have to change gears and y- you're, you have to get over the feeling of I'm now behind or this is taking too long or I'm losing points or I'm now getting beat on this stage because of it. And you just have to accept that some things just take what they take. And I think that uh, when I finally got that and I'm doing a lot better than I ever, than I ever have been. And, um, not saying I've got it down completely or, you know, this sport is something that I feel like you think you get a grasp on everything. You think you finally figured something out and there's certain uh, situations and topics or uh, things that you probably do. But I think that you you, what really is happening is you know it better or understand it better than you did two years ago. But two years from now, you'll still probably get a little bit better at it. 
And as you get better and as time goes on, those things, they, those, those gaps decrease. It takes a lot longer to cover smaller amount of ground. But I think that was the biggest thing for my, 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 uh, skill was to accept that some things just take what they, they take. And I don't even process it anymore that, holy shit, I'm taking too long. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't see a target go, okay, I'm waiting. I'm, I'm waiting for this target to present like on an activator. I do realize that, but I don't let that affect me negatively anymore. I just process it as something that's just happening and, um, and then just roll through it. Makes sense. Jared, what do you got? Since you asked the question. So I think if for me, like, obviously I feel like I actually jumped into kind of training, uh, pretty early on compared to what I see from a lot of the people around me that have, you know, been shooting a similar amount of time and stuff. But if I could pick one thing, uh, I would have actually got like practicing earlier. I, I don't know that I probably, I probably didn't practice more than once or twice my very first year. Um, so it was really 2016. I kind of started practicing a little bit, but even then it wasn't a lot. And I probably missed a lot of good learning time when I was still brand new. I was running around shooting matches like crazy, shooting everything I could, which I think is pretty typical for people when they first get involved. But if I would have, say, in 2016, if I would have jumped into training like I did by, like, 2017, I think I would have my, my time to getting to a reasonable level would have been a lot shorter than it was. That makes sense. Yep. So, so asking this question, I came up with something. So what are some of the, I guess, quote, trends that you have seen change since you guys have started? And then I'll say kind of a couple of the biggest ones since I've started. And I just what want to kind of... What do you mean trends? So, so here I'll say one of them. So right when I started, everybody was saying like in production specifically basically because that's the thing you reload in the most that you have to get your reload done within one step right so 2008 time like way back then like everybody was like get your reload done within one step and now like the biggest change in that was it's like get your like the movement done and then just get your reload done sometime inside of that movement like get the movement done the fastest and get your reload done sometime in between that and make sure you're ready to go when you get there. So something like that. Okay. Jared, do you have anything? I'm, I'm thinking. If you're ready, you go. <laughs> I was trying to hope, hope you had something because I'm thinking too. Um, <laughs> it doesn't have to be see, big, well, but I'll, something I'll, small. Or for me, though, you got to understand. I came from IDPA. And so the big thing in IDPA was um, – slow down and get your hits. So uh, that's something else I kind of wish um, I would have been aware of early on was that, and I hate to say this because I'm not trying to be rude, but I, I got to be as honest as I can be. I, I, I feel about this, that IDPA was a waste of time. Um, the, the level of skill is not there. It's not even close from one sport to the next. Um, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be really good shooters, but I'm so Somebody say, well, what about this shooter? They shoot it. I'm like, yeah, they're predominantly a USPSA shooter that shoots US, uh, IDPA every once in a while. There's no IDPA only shooters. Let me rephrase that. There's not as many because I don't know. I don't shoot IDPA anymore. 
but uh, it's a different game too. But um, so for me that I, that was one that I don't didn't really hear it so much. I don't think in um, USPSA, but slow down and get your hits. But that's something that is is a um, is more of a level of comprehension thing. I think uh, to somebody that doesn't know, slow down and get your hits makes sense. It's like the uh, well, I'll tell you one that maybe may have actually be more USPSA related was is um, slow is smooth, smooth is fast. Or is that a Timmy thing? Yeah, no, I think that's that's, that's definitely came and went and kind of get dispelled now, right? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> and it's the same thing. It makes sense to someone that doesn't know, but um, slow is slow. And a lot of times you do the same thing you did at speed incorrectly that you did it you know you do it slower you do it at the slower speed incorrectly just like you did at faster speeds and you have the same result well if you're yanking the trigger you're yanking the trigger i i think that i think that is said with with a good intentions but it's it's a terrible way to say it It's, it's they're trying to make a short way of saying like you need to learn what you're doing maybe without being like solely focused on trying to go fast because I think it's Anderson that says it like you, you're not going to get faster and more accurate at the same time. It's kind of the same thing. Like if you don't know how to draw the gun, trying to go fast is probably a waste of time. Like you, you need to, you need to make sure you're getting a solid grip on the gun every time and, you know, presenting it evenly before you get overly focused on the speed of it. But slow is still slow. Yeah. So here's another big one kind of, so I think the biggest change, well, there's two right now. I think one is absolutely ridiculous and it's going to get hurt a lot of people on the end, but I'll say that second. So I think transitions are going through a revolution right now from like when I started, it was move the gun as fast as you can over and like stop the gun in the like exact spot. I think a lot of people now are learning where like move the gun over but you have to be ready to shoot the instant it's there, right? So you're not wasting time like over confirming or like verifying that the gun is in the right spot. I think that's probably the biggest thing that's kind of trend or way something's been done in shooting is changing right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so go ahead. Uh, I mean, just me trying to think like, I honestly, I don't know of anything that's like massively different. Probably the closest I could come up with or that's a a trend or a change is I feel like, I feel like when I came into the sport, it was kind of when like a lot more of the training material and technology and stuff was out there. So a lot of, I mean, I see it with the newer guys starting today, like they're instantly like jumping in and getting like good information early on and most of that's not much different than was out there when I started, but nothing like it is now with like PTSG and, and just all of the, all the books and information and the amount of like YouTube videos and stuff out there. Uh, so it's certainly, I would say adding in the technology is probably the biggest change that's, that's been in my time. Cause even like for, for the time I've been in the sport, like, We've had practice score the entire time I've been here, except a single stack nationals, which they were still scoring with paper into 17. I forgot about that. I used to have to do scores from paper after the Mill Creek matches and then like upload them the next day. 
that blows my mind because that was I definitely got in after all that that you would have to wait a week or you know several days at least you know a day or two that's just crazy that you wouldn't know if you won I mean when you think about it you're like yeah I mean that's yeah that but, that's how it was like I, know, I used dude. to have to to like manual key in all the paper scores now from let everybody me rephrase, let me rephrase that. Uh, now I think about it because I did start shooting IDPA and IDPA was a little slow, I think, to get on it. They were a year or two behind. And so we had to wait for a couple hours for they, and it wasn't usually that bad on the three or four IDPA matches that I did shoot for them to calculate the scores because it was all done by paper. So that was at a major though. That was at majors or their, whatever they call their majors. Yeah. So the first three or four majors matches I shot, I think actually all the ones I shot in IDPA were all paper. Um, but anyways, that is pretty crazy. Nowadays, we, we roll up to a match, we hit approve on the tablet, and it sends us an email confirmation of our score. Yeah, it's awesome. And like automatically uploads like the scores throughout the day, so you see how you're doing if you want. Yeah. Well, does that does that cut down on cheating, or does that add to cheating? I think maybe I would say my guesstimate would be at first it made it easier for people to cheat, but now with the people that have been caught cheating – um, the the logged edits and stuff seem to be, and then I think those the people, same amount of people were cheating. You think so? I think it's just able to be seen now. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think very many people cheat, but there's certainly no. some of them out there. Right. So Matt, what so was your other one? Why one trend I see that is going to get that I foresee getting people in trouble is people like flailing their hands while they're running around. And doing super weird, like, aggressive movements with the gun. Like, a lot of them are bringing, like, if they come out of a position and, like, they're pumping their hands up and down, right? Like, they're mm-hmm. running. Like, I I see it kind of getting a little out of control on what people will are doing. And I think people are just doing it so fast right now. No one's able to see it and make calls on that. But I, I see people getting up to speed and watching people do it. And the way people are doing it don't doesn't make a lot of sense. And, no. Yeah, and I've seen it on multiple people. And it seems like there's a certain area the trend is coming out of that I see. And it's kind of filtering out a lot further now. But it's just something I see coming out that I see a lot of people doing it. I foresee a lot of problems with it, and I would just caution people to be very careful on that. Like you're going to get an RO that is just going to ding you. It's, it's going to they're going to ding you DQ because you. they like they're going to make a call and not really know, and then all of a sudden have to stick to their guns or look yeah. stupid in their mind. So yeah. and so they're going to stick to just DQing you. Does so everybody I, know what that like is? Did I explain it well enough? Yeah. Well, can, yeah. Are you talking so, about? Are you talking about where a guy may be shooting and he runs up range, and he completely turns around and he'll basically, he's got the gun in his right hand and he'll basically kind of keep it. Um, he, he'll pump his arms, but he tries to make sure that his his right arm doesn't break the uh, reverse one eighty or or something, right? I wouldn't say up range. I think it's okay. more in lateral movement. Okay, but still, but so, it's the same thing when you go one yeah, way. It, it, yeah. It's. It comes from pumping the gun arm, the gun hand, and man, I've seen some. 
I've seen some very, like, even stuff on video that I couldn't tell for sure. And it just looks, there's more and more people doing it. People are trying to duplicate it from other people. And I just, I foresee it going bad is all I'm saying. Yeah. And I think what you're referring to is, uh, you know, I mean, ever since I've been involved, it's basically been like, you know, you need to pump at some level. But traditionally, like, you had complete awareness of where that muzzle was. So if you're going, like, downrange, it was really easy to pump. But if you were going, like, right to left, you pump substantially different. And nowadays, it just it looks like that gun is flying all over the place on some people in their movement. Like, kind of like they... Kind of like they're moving their arms because they think they have to and not really knowing why or what they're doing. I think a lot of it's from duplication at this point. Like they see someone do it, then they're like, well, I, sh- I could do that. Why can't I do that? Or I'm going to do that. And I just see, I don't know. I, I would use a lot of caution doing that. It might not be that bad. And... Oh yeah, if if you know what you're doing and why you're doing it and where the gun's at, it's fine. But don't just copy it because you see it. Right. And make sure you're doing it in a 100% unquestionable way that no like anybody that sees that would be like, "Yeah, that's fine. That's perfectly safe within the 180." I had a um I was shooting a, a club match a couple of months ago. And exact, exactly what you're talking about. Um, I mean, I'm, I seen somebody else do it a while back. I said, hey, you know, they're able to pump their arms a little harder. And I was going from left to right. I'm a right-handed shooter. And I said, I can run this way and pump my arms and not break the 180. And so I did. And I had a shooter come up to me afterwards saying, hey, you know, I don't know if you broke it, but you were really close. This is somebody I, I knew. And I said, hey, thanks for telling me, you know. And, um, and so um, – that was the end of that. But then there was, um, I've been a couple matches I've shot since then that where I said, Hey, you got to get out of this position. Um, the most important thing about you getting out of this position and running to the next one is making sure the gun is obviously safe and, and, and nobody can question it. Um, nobody can question that it's potentially at the 180, you know? And so there's times where I'll just make sure it's, it's just completely obvious and I'll run with it that way. And it's, it's not probably any slower. Uh, and if it is, Oh, well, it's, um, I'd rather ensure that I don't get sent home early. So I've kind of stopped doing that a little bit, but yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, it might be well and good, but I would just be careful. Make sure you're doing everything that, that will have no question. Cool. Jared, do you, do you see that at all? see people doing that yeah oh lots of it 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 seems like there's more all the time yeah and and i think you described it best it doesn't look like they're like it doesn't even look like pumping arms anymore it just looks like they're like flailing their arms all over the place like a fish out of water (laughs) i've seen some weird things here here in the last year or two that people have done with guns uh, to get out of a position that you're sitting there going like, I don't know if that was any benefit, but okay. So, and I'm, it's kind of a different issue. It wasn't that they were, I don't know. Anyways, y'all ready to move on to, to Matt's topic? Yes. We kind of so, talked. Yeah, go ahead, Jerry. 
So, obviously, uh, Matt, as you discussed a little bit ago in the podcast, you have yes. gotten into dry fire. Yep. So, uh, why don't you give us a kind of a breakdown of like the level of dry fire you did when you were when you were pretty new and stuff like that, kind of when you got away from it, and then then discuss with us like how you got back into it, why, and and what what benefits you're seeing. So. I wouldn't say I dry fired a ton at all until recently, like this year. Like I never had a set dry fire routine or like block time out of my day to do it. It was like, Oh, I have some free time. I'll, or I messed up reloads. I need to work on reloads, So I'm going to work on that. I think that's the thing that stuck with me the most was I practiced reloads basically when I was coming up and early on like shooting production and stuff just because so, I knew there were so many of those in the stage, and that's what I saw the biggest kind of impact. If those go good, everything else kind of goes good. Like, I can't say I dry-fired a, like, I don't know. Like, it was not consistent. It was not, it was not regimented or planned out or anything until this year which is surprising for people like they hear this and they're like, what? Like, and this is a little different. Like this is one of the, I guess, trends that have changed. Like everybody used to be like, like go shoot, shoot a lot, shoot a lot. And the trend has changed to, you can do everything in dry fire except like shoot the actual firing the gun. Right. Mm-hmm. And I guess the biggest thing that brought me, into it and doing it now was switching platforms and switching from iron sights to optics. I mean, that is the biggest thing that I've seen. I couldn't just switch. So I switched from Palmer last year and shot the Palmer gun and striker fired gun a little bit at the beginning of last year. Right. I didn't have to do a lot of work on that because it's still iron sights iron sights are iron sights and you don't have to change your like focal plane to target focus all the time. So like I, and I kind of explained it earlier. I do the three minutes on three minutes off. So I might sit down and do two hours worth of that. Right. But I'm actually only doing a little bit of dry fire in there mm-hmm. and not a ton of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like yeah. I'm not I'm not spending an hour, like I'm not spending sixty minutes doing dry fire. I'm doing three minutes at a time. The first three minutes is literally doing the like the white wall drill where I just pull the trigger, making sure the dot doesn't move, the sights don't move, the gun doesn't move. So I know where and how to make that trigger go off when I want to and make sure the gun doesn't move when I'm doing it. Like I will actually start every practice session and end every dry fire practice session with that. Just aiming at a blank wall, no target, no nothing. Just pulling the trigger, learning the trigger pull of the gun and making sure I I can set the gun off exactly when I want to and not disturb the sights doing it. Hey, can I say something real quick about that? Yeah. So um, you mentioned that a minute ago that like um, do something all the time and you said even if that's all you did right there. And, you know, I would relate that to um, the trigger control speed or the trigger control at speed out of dry fire reloaded. Yep. And if someone did that 
and that was almost all they did. That they, I don't, I don't think they un- fully comprehend on how much better their shooting would be if that was the only thing they improved on, because a lot of people have a lot of problems. At least, and I'm coming off of myself, um, so I'm kind of lumping everybody else in with me. Um, I assume they had the same problems that I had and still have sometimes. Um, but that right there, man, would eliminate a lot of bad hits. Oh yeah, it like it's Which would, like. You can line your sights up perfect, but if you like yank that trigger and snatch a gun off the target, no matter what you did or saw beforehand, that thing that hit's not going to be there. Yeah. Anyways, go ahead. Uh, I think I don't know what else did I, what else did you ask, Jared? So obviously, now that you've been dry firing for, you know, we're a couple months into the season here. Um, what are your what are your thoughts on the benefits that you've personally seen from doing it this year? I mean, a hundred percent consistency, like learning the grip on the gun, learning the magazine changes, like switching the platforms was a huge difference. And one of the biggest ones was actually seating the mag with the high capacity and fully loaded magazines. So, Jared, you probably experienced it the other way around, where you went from high capacity to low. Like it takes a different level of insertion, and when you hit that magazine so, in the gun, with a full like fully jam packed full magazine compared to a ten round. So for for me the on that end, it it really wasn't that bad. Other than if you were kind of soft on the mag, there was sometimes you're like, did I seat that? And obviously, most of the time it was because with a twenty one round forty mag and a limited gun like. You always seat the mag with force, and the mag's really heavy, so it it was quite a bit different. But I would say it was it was really easy to go from a full mag to a ten round mag. Probably a lot harder to go in the reverse. It definitely took some learning and having to figure that out of how much force to put the magazine in with during the reload. So. I think consistency, like just being able to grip the gun and have the dot come up and be like exactly where you're looking. Like I battled that for a month or two probably. Mm-hmm. And like I, I'm still learning. I'm still like – I'm still – I still like the odd situation where that still happens. Like I, Jared saw me shoot one of my first matches with it. That one target on that hard lean to the right – on bay five down there like i was like oh well yeah i didn't see nothing there so i have no clue (laughs) but it's just something to practice and then like get used to like iron sights they don't just disappear like without a dot there so like they're there all the time so even if they're off a little you kind of have awareness of what you need to do with the gun to get them lined up what what I'll be really curious is whenever you go back to shooting irons, I, I, I would love your feedback on, on if you think the dot made you a better shooter. Oh, I think it will. I think like there's no doubt about it at this point. It already is. Uh, but I got like another year on this. So <laughs> if she doesn't get delayed again for COVID, uh, what's going on with that? Uh, I mean, they pushed it back a year, so the world shoe got moved from 2020 to 2021 now. So December of 2021 is when the next world shoot will happen. 
I'll be shooting optics all the way through that. So this year, this this year's um, Ipsic Nationals wasn't going to count for for the next World Shoot. Correct. Well, next year's Ipsic Nationals count for the next. I World would World say World. it won't because they're just basically resetting the cycle. So they're just going to keep pushing them. Okay, yeah. resetting it. Okay. So the next the next Ipsic like Ipsic Nationals that'll count for World Shoot. If they keep on like track with everything that they've done previously, and Ipsic is not planning on like condensing the world shoot timeline from every, they're not planning on putting it back on like what it was. Like now it's 21 and it's a three year cycle after that. Gotcha. Because they have a rifle world shoot and like a, like they have other world shoots they can't like jam two into a year. It's just too much. Gotcha. So I guess. What is it? It's 20. So I guess Ipsic Nationals and Hanga Nationals in 2022 and 2023 will be the qualifiers. As long as they keep, like USPSA keeps the same qualification. So now that you've been dry firing for a couple of months here, do you wish that you would have been doing it all along? Yeah. I mean, like, I wouldn't say at the amount that I'm doing now. And obviously, I'm not doing the same amount of dry fire when I go live fire. So if I go live fire, I'm doing live fire that night. I'm not doing dry fire. There have been some times where I'll go shoot like a local, but then come home and dry fire after that, you know. So I think it's just the consistency of doing something every day. Like beforehand, I would like go shoot an indoor match and then go shoot on the weekends or go like live fire train once a week and then like live fire train on the weekends. I think it's doing something consistently every day is kind of where it's at. And that's the biggest advantage I've found. And yeah, obviously if I've been doing this for 10 years or all my my whole career i don't know where i'd be with a shelf full of national titles no doubt (laughs) you never know (laughs) can't go back and change it so only look forward so you know go ahead go ahead jason matt do you think uh carry optics is more fun than production uh overall yeah i think so like it was like in march i would not have said that i'd have said it's a lot harder because i'm not used to it but i think it's definitely more fun i think like it's gonna open up some different stuff in stage like like stage planning and stuff that i couldn't like kind of work on like shooting a low cap division. So like I couldn't like work on like exact foot placement or like what I'm going to do with my, like how I'm going to turn my body. It was just kind of like get the load done and like get the gun up and shoot these targets as they like appear or they're there. And like something with high cap, it's like you can worry about how you enter the position, like where your feet are oriented and then, like, halfway through the array, like, oh, I'm going to rotate my hips and foot. And then, like, 
shoot the other array like otherwise like beforehand i'd just be like okay i'm gonna reload and make sure that's done fast and gets it in there and then like bring the gun up like i wouldn't worry worrying about my body position at all or like how i was like oriented to the targets or what my feet look like but all that's coming like higher into play now that shooting the high cap shooting the red dot so interesting view on it because i'm essentially getting the opposite of that so i came from limited to carry optics i shot production for a few weeks before i decided or a few months over the winter and then i decided to shoot carry optics so for me how you approach stuff was very similar you know you're, you're trying to keep the gun running as much as possible and blending all the positions and stuff where production i have certainly encountered plenty of times where your only priority in the movement is getting the load done as soon as possible because it's such a short amount of space that's all that matters. So it's a, it, it's interesting how much different the game is when you're playing with different equipment. 100% different. Like, just the last few matches, I mean, the stages are dramatically different between the low-cap and high-cap plans and kind of what you have to do. I think the biggest thing on that is, yeah, you got to keep the gun running and load it up in production. You don't have to in carry optics. <laughs> so, like, all that other little stuff, like body movement, foot movement, foot placement, all that matters more in CO with a high-cap gun. Yeah. Because well, all that matters. It's kind of the best way I would describe that is, like, any of the divisions that are going to have higher hit factors based on, on the various things. So... Uh, say like open or limited or carry optics, the stuff you're going to be shooting a little faster, a little more aggressively with with higher hit factors, are they are gonna they're gonna more side toward speed. So if you're off on pace, it's gonna hurt you more than production. So like on a stage where if you if you're a second off on a on a really fast limited stage, like you're you're way off the pace. But say in production, if you're a second off on a really fast stage but it's really fast stage and people are dropping a lot of points. Like you're still there if you're shooting good points. So it's kind of interesting how that works with the hit factor in our game. Yeah. I mean, Matt, was that what you meant? Cause I think you said that you have to keep the gun running in production. You're like, I, in production, yeah, you have to keep the gun. Running. Like, I, I, I think, I think Jared's saying the opposite. And I think I agree with that. That like in, in the high cap and the high hit factor, uh, divisions like open limited and carry optics i think it's more important to keep the gun spitting bullets down range than it is to where like jared said if you're off a second it's going to kill you on a, a carry optic stage well th- think of it like in in school when a teacher graded on a scale that's kind of how it is so the our hit factors like grading on a scale where the higher the hit factors are the the more your the more speed is going to be a larger contributor in it where in production it you know points become a much larger part like me and matt were talking about it after an indoor match last week like the stage had a ton of partials and stuff on it it's like i'm okay with dropping 10 charlies on that stage like it was it was stupid hard I guess by what I mean by keeping the gun running is make sure it's loaded and you're ready to shoot like when you have to Okay. And CO, like, there's some times where production will have two loads and you'll have none. 
Right. And that makes a huge difference. Like that's multiple seconds, like on the overall stage time that doesn't have anything to do with it except reloading the gun. And you take that out of account, like you can worry about like, I can just do like a straight transition from target to target instead of kind of doing like target reload target. Like if, if you could see it all, like if you see two different arrays, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and what, what I'm, what I'm meaning on that is an example like that is where obviously the production hit factor is going to be lower. The, your alphas or your points down become a much larger penalty or in CO, if you were off on time, say a reload or a malfunction or something, it hurts you more because yes. it's faster. Yes. Yep. Yeah. I agree. I think I think the lower hit factors of production mask some of the deficiencies in my skill level that are coming out in CO. <laughs> so it's interesting. I think it was me and Alexis were talking about it. I told him I was pretty excited for you to shoot CO because I think you're going to come out of it a much better shooter. I think you're going to learn a lot. So one thing I've noticed this year, I was getting beat on the quick, easy stuff. And shooting eight rounds and then having to do a reload and eight more, like that reload time like lowers the hit factor dramatically. And in CO, you don't have to do that, so the hit factor just ramps up. <laughs> and so shot speed means a lot. Like, if you can shoot 500s faster than me eight times, that's like half a second. That's a, that's a lot on a high hit factor stage. Yeah. yeah. Like, that, that could be a long time. And just think if it's more than... 16 rounds and it's like a 32 round hoser stage like losing five hundredths of a second on every shot is a long time and that adds up to like what over a second just on the splits and how fast you can shoot that stuff that's yeah. one of the key things i've taken away and that's one of the things i've been practicing on like ever since the last few kind of state level matches and it's kind of something I'm, I'm working on and I'm seeing improvements on already so I'm looking forward to future matches so so Matt as a uh, for you, you you basically were strictly production for uh, well you, uh, I think you've been around like 13 years other than messing around in other divisions so you, you I mean obviously you were clearly involved so you weren't like burned out you were still training and still serious and everything but has how has switching divisions been for you as far as like your enjoyment in the game or like your motivation? So I've always enjoyed it. I enjoy shooting. I enjoy competing part of it rather than the training aspect. So like I train to compete better. I don't just train because I like that. So I think that just depends on who you are. Different people have different ways about that. Uh, I don't think it's like a. I was. I would say I was coasting for the last few years, and kind of just resting off what I've done previously, and kind of like that's where the skill level was. That's what it'll always be. I didn't try to really push it, like switching over to CO with the world shoot slot. I've 
I'm more motivated now, I guess, to get better and to see improvements than kind of the last few years in production. I would say I kind of got, I would say coasting through the last few years and not really making huge improvements, kind of like, I'm going to go live fire so I like stay up to speed, you know, not doing stuff to try to get better. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, Jason, do you have anything else? Nope. Matt, do you have anything you want to add? No. Okay, so I've got a a good little story I've got to tell. So I was listening to our our friends at the Shoot Fast podcast last last weekend on my drive home to my parents. And our, our good friend here, Matt, was on there. And he was, they were talking about like how, you know, he's met so many people. And he's like, yeah, Jared mentioned the first time he met me in a match. And it's like, I don't remember that. So after I heard that, I had to call Joel and tell him the actual story. So the the very first match I met Matt at, I can't believe he doesn't remember this. I'm, I'm at our local bullet hole, like it's in the basement oh, of an indoor range match. And, and this oh. dude shows up in a CZ jersey <laughs> with this little Japanese photographer with him. And this guy was uh, some with some magazine out of Japan. Like, I don't think he spoke English even. And he was just there to get pictures of Matt <laughs> for a Japanese article. <laughs> like, I don't know how you can't remember that. I remember that now. I don't remember you being there or much else <laughs> from that night. But I do remember that event and when that happened. Like, I had not that's, shot that club for a long time. I had to renew all my memberships there. That, that's the only reason I remember it, though, is, like, who's this dude in a jersey with, with some photographer coming here to take pictures of him? I'd probably been impressed? around, so, like, no, I'm just, like, confused. I thought you were, like, uh, um, what's that one uh, guy with the action figures on the Timmy side? Uh, Chris Costa. Yeah, Chris Costa. I thought maybe you were kind of like him and like famous in Japan or something. Like, I, I was wondering if you went over there and did the whole catwalk thing with your airsoft gun or not. No, I haven't ever done that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think that story is funny. It's probably the, the most interesting first time I've met someone. Yeah. Did I at least win that match, hopefully? Uh, I, I'll have to look that up. You, you probably did. I, I, I bet I hadn't been shooting probably two or three months by then. Oh, I don't really? even know if I shot. I don't even know if I'd shot an outdoor match yet by then. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea you were at that match. I do remember when that happened, though. It's funny. <laughs> I was in a Japanese magazine. <laughs> It's probably for sale on the internet. You can probably buy it, probably several hundred dollars a copy. Just so rare and special. (laughs) Well, I guess it's a good time to pinch it off. Yep. So Jeff can cue in me saying something dumb at the end of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) So, real quick, funny story about that. If you listen to a couple of these podcasts, um, at the end, we clip in. Uh, Jeff does it. He uh, he's got a little clip that he's got saved, and it's it's Jared going stop recording, damn it. And um, <laughs> and we didn't we've had that on every one of them, I think that we've ever done. And um, Jared didn't know we were doing it because Jared doesn't listen to the podcast. <laughs> so <laughs> I listen to gotta, some of them. So we're gonna 
we're going to find something else to clip on the end of it. We're not going to tell Jared we did it, and we're just going to see how long we can get away <laughs> with it. We'll, we'll figure something else out. So the reason Je- Jeff or Jason brought that up was I told Jared, like, oh, like you're ending every podcast or something. He's like, no, I don't. <laughs> he didn't know about it till I told him. So that's yeah. why they got to change it now. Well, I, I only I only listen to the episodes that I'm not on. So that's why I hadn't noticed it. No, no, no. We do it on every episode regardless. I, I, I know, but I, I didn't think anything of it. Like, oh, I, okay. Like the, fir- uh, the first one I heard it on, I think, was uh, whenever we interviewed uh, probably Pogi or... or uh, Charlie. Oh, yeah, Charlie Perez. Gotcha. Cool. All right, well, I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you got any questions, comments, uh, hit us up on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, Matt, thanks for coming on, man. We appreciate it. It's, fun. it's a good yeah, time as always. Guys. And um, everybody have a good one. Peace out. Stop recording, damn it. (laughs) Stop recording, damn it.